Welcome to Recovery Devon Podcasts. We're a community interest company working to support mental health recovery in Devon. Our podcasts invite people with ideas of all kinds which explore mental health and what it means to be fully human. Welcome to another Recovery Devon Podcast. So we are talking about community today and the importance of community. So can I get you guys to introduce yourselves? So Matt, can we start with you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Matt. I am one of the directors at the Community Waffle House in Axminster. We're a community interest company uh, with a vision to do something about loneliness and isolation and unwantedness in our town. And we do that in various different ways, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. Um, I have, I'm married, I have four kids, and I like playing football. That's me. Um, Kerry, let's go for you. Hi, I'm Kerry. I am a psychotherapist slash counsellor, whatever you want to call me. Um, And I've also had experience of working with community projects around mental health. Um, And I also, uh, I want to say coordinate the local kind of social isolation waffle support group as well. So that's kind of my remit at the moment. Thank you. Uh, Jodie, can you introduce yourself as well, please? Hey, I'm Jodie and I am Recovery Devon's newest um, community developer and I'm based in North Devon. Thank you. And I am Sammy. I'm the community development worker for Exeter for Recovery Devon. So that is that is all the people that you have on this podcast and we're going to be talking about community. So should we jump in and just ask the question, what is community? Like, what do we mean by community? Because it's it's kind of it's kind of a buzzword at the moment. We all talk about community, don't we? Especially during these weird times that we're in. But what do we really mean by community? It's a great, great question. Um, and I think big believer in kind of defining terms before you kind of start out with something. So, um, yeah, I think it's very important to have an understanding of community, especially when, as you say, Sammy, uh, there's, there's a fair bit of kind of using the words in uh, kind of more disingenuous ways. Um, a lot of times I think it's a buzzword for uh, we care about other people other than us. So lots of businesses will use it. Um, big, big businesses will use it as a way of kind of virtue signaling that they that they care about more than just making money, um, which is hard because then it, it it's difficult to kind of pull apart people that are, are genuinely out to kind of help community and those people that just want to be seen to be doing that. Um, but yeah, the turn itself uh, it, so it's an old, old term, and it just means uh, people that are associated around something in common. Um, so traditionally, that's uh, place, but it can be anything. It can be interest. Um, it, it could be uh, a time of your life. Um, but we, we're particularly interested at the Community Waffle House in, in place. So starting with um, our town, because the, the nice thing about being unified by place is that that should be enough to kind of bring people together without necessarily needing to be very homogenous or needing to be the same. Um, because we know that actually some of the best relationships um, statistically and just from experience, we know that they are unlikely friendships or unlikely relationships. So when you've got a place in common, actually it means that you can come together with all sorts of different people with different interests, uh, different backgrounds. Uh, and, and that's a very powerful thing. So for us, we're kind of more interested in uh, commonality, uh, in place but there's lots of different ways that community can spring up in lots of different places I totally agree concur with all of that also it's kind of like for me it signals from a mental health perspective it signals support 
um, identity and knowing that you're not alone in the world. Uh, there's other people like you that are going through similar stuff to you. That can be incredibly powerful when it comes to kind of recovery, support, everything involved with that as well. Yeah, that's that's some yeah, that's two really good definitions of it. What do we think the importance of community is? Because we do really value it as a society. And, you know, like we've talked about, it's around a lot at the, at the moment, the world, the words around a lot. So there's obviously this importance around it, but but where does that come from? Like, why is it so important to us? Yeah, I think Kerry touched on that a little bit in terms of um, a sense of giving you a sense of belonging. But I think that's probably the word that I would land on um, is that when you, a good community gives you a, a really strong sense of belonging. Like I belong here. I was thinking that on the way to work actually, I was, I, was, um, I, was, I, I took my kids to school and I just looked in at the mechanics uh, in, in Collerton where my kids go to school. Um, and I just saw them kind of doing the morning routines, getting the tea, getting the tea out, uh, looking at the cars, kind of giving them a prod or whatever mechanics do. I've got no idea. Um, you know, giving the bumper a kick. Um, and, and you could, there's four or five guys and you just knew like, that's where they belong. Like that's where they go in. That's where for, from whatever, nine to five, that's their place of community. That's a place where they feel safe, where they know what they're doing. They feel valued where they are. They feel um, like they, uh, yeah, like they don't need to try to fit in, I guess is where a good community uh, kind of excels. Uh, and I thought, yeah, there's all these little communities that we have, um, but ultimately, um, it, it is also something that is kind of quite hard to put your finger on because by nature, it's kind of invisible. It's one of these abstract things that we talk about, like any of the abstract nouns, a community, a sense of community is not something you can box up. Um, and hence why we talk about community spirit. I mean, spirit is another word that you can't pin down, but it, it is this kind of hard thing. It's hard to define until you experience it. And, and you, we all know the places where we find good community spirit, where we find good communities. It might be anywhere, but there are places where we do feel all those things. We feel safe. We feel like we belong. Um, and that's why it's so important to be intentional about community because they don't just happen. Like technically, yes, accidents with the community just because people live together. But I think the thing that we've realized over the last few years is that you can't just expect the community to just happen naturally it, you need to be intentional about community government needs to be intentional about community we all need to be intentional about community because it won't just happen um because this invisible community spirit thing actually it, it takes kind of effort and practice um and so it is something that you kind of find in places and it's really interesting to me that axminster's tagline is the the home of community spirit and it's been up there for a while a lot of people would kind of raise, raise their eyebrows about that because it's kind of Axmas is a hard place to call a, a strong community um, because we, we're very much in the middle of things. We have a massively busy traffic flow going through our town. Also, people kind of move to Axminster temporarily and then move out again. Um, that's it because we've got lower house prices in the area. Um, so actually, yeah, although we can put it on a sign, home and community spirit, I've often thought that it's, it's something that we really need to kind of earn that title, that we are being uh, really intentional and conscientious about turning communities into uh, properly strong communities where people feel safe and, and belong. I would 100% agree with that. The, the thing, like what you were saying about being intentional, I don't think we're born knowing how to, how to have a community. Like we're born knowing how to behave in a family mostly or like in friends, but I don't think we're born knowing how to create something bigger than us or more around us. And mm. a way of looking at how important community is is to look at what happens when it's not there. Yeah. When you don't have it, 
Um, physical health is worse often. Mental health is worse, definitely. People feel isolated. They need the doctors more. They're, they're, you know, they use more services. So, so essentially it costs more to not have community in the town. Um, so it's, it's kind of really important to look at both sides of it to see what, where we need to create community and what for, in a way, what the purpose is. Yeah. I, and I, like, for me, like, the word itself, the more, the more I think about it, the more it's kind of self-evident, isn't it? Like, I, I love the word unity. I'm a big fan of it um, in lots of different, in lots of different contexts. But um, it, it takes, to, to build strong community, it takes people uh, fighting for coming together, um, which actually, like Kerry says, actually, it, you have to really try it that. We're quite naturally able to spot how we're different to people and how people wind us up and annoy us and all the things we don't have in common. But strong communities are places where people put what they have in common above what they they don't, um, and that's really what we need to do uh, we, we, all around our, our country and our, and our societies. We need to be making those small choices which choose to put those things uh, that we have in common at the centre, and that's how I think that's how good community uh, good communities are formed, um, and that's part of the work we do here is trying to find out what passions people have what interests, uh, even if they haven't done them for a while, what, what gets them going so that we can kind of match those with people that might have something in common. And I think just little instances like that build a community where people, um, like Kerry said, they're, they're thinking about something bigger than themselves, which I think is so important for the humans. That's really true because community gives people role, a role in life or like a purpose yeah. or a use. Um, and it gives, like if, you, if it's done right, you know everybody uses the thing that they're good at and that and that makes us happy you know if we can find a community where we feel we belong like we're more similar than we are different 100 percent. so it's definitely yeah it's definitely possible to find a community for everybody but it's just about knowing what what you need to be doing and what your purpose or your your skill is as well okay yeah and that's where for us so we we're like massive on conversations that's our thing um uh, at Waffle. So we're trying to build community through everyday conversations. Cause obviously again, massive work community, like how do you do it? How do you build community? And for us, it's, we wanted to like reverse engineer everything and go right back to the building blocks of community, which I think are conversations. Um, and and uh, what happens when you have a face-to-face -face conversation with some of your communities that you're forced to find out what you have in common um, much more than if you have a digital conversation there, you can like comment whatever you like about someone, right? But when you're face-to-face -face with so someone, the kind of the the urge to find something in common takes over, uh, hence why we all talk about the weather, because that's the the one big thing that we all have in common right now. We're under the same bit of sky, and therefore, if it rains, it's going to affect you and you and me. Um, so that's why conversation is such a good way of practicing community, because it forces us to find those things in common, which is so important. Um, and like Kerry said, we 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 are we have more in common, but uh, sometimes we forget that, and so we need to practice remembering that we have more in common with people. I think we we forget that during conversations because sometimes we fall into the trap of having the same conversations. So, you know, when you're like, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but when you're with friends or family, you jump into the conversation that's, oh, so how's so-and-so? Oh, how's work? How's this? And it's the same hour worth of conversation. And then you then do it with somebody else and then you do it with somebody else. And I love the idea that when you have a conversation with somebody you don't know anymore, um, not anymore you, with somebody you don't know 
the conversation is a lot more organic and you find that common ground and you might end up talking about films or like I can't think of anything Star Wars but you know you know what I mean like you, you talk about something that's a bit more organic than than just like going through the motions and those conversations are more they feel a bit more genuine because you're talking about what your interests and what what's um I guess what's important to you and there's space to explore that a bit more I, I, yeah I couldn't agree more. And and um, there's a big difference between between talking to strangers and talking to or relative strangers and talking to your relatives or your friends. It, it, you use different parts of the brain, which is fascinating that when you're talking to strangers, you're using a whole different set of muscles, if you like, um, and really important muscles. And like say, Sammy, around like find, finding things in common, um, actually thinking of, thinking of what, what actually what do I like? You know, which we can forget sometimes when we're talking to people we know very well, weirdly, because we're always talking about that same list of subjects. Uh, what do I like and what makes me me? It, it, the, the, one of the great benefits of talking to people we've never met before is that it forces us to go back to who we are because we're kind of introducing ourselves again to the world, which of course we don't need to do with friends and family. And that's a really good thing for identity and for remembering like who you are um, and just presenting yourself. Um, and it's a really, really good thing for practicing like empathy um, that, that when you're talking to strangers, you're forced to kind of put yourself in their shoes, even just a little bit. Um, and sadly, that's something that we're terrible at with people that we know very well. It, it's strange that actually research shows that the, the better we know someone, the worse we are at listening, the worse we are at empathy. Like, so actually, there's a really important role for talking to strangers, which is that's my soapbox but it's really important and i think it's taken a real hit over the years with the whole like stranger danger say no to danger at school thing which was completely born out of good intentions but for me just completely warps the issue um, and ignores the fact that the 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 vast 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 quantity like proportion of um uh danger that's not a good way of putting it but the danger for kids is is sadly a lot closer to home than it is um what you know people i used to think it was people in white vans like i was terrified of white vans when i was a kid so i just assumed that everyone that drove a white van was like dodgy but yeah so so i think it's taken a hit and obviously media i think has a has a lot to say because it, it obviously sensationalizes every little incident involving strangers it loves that and so you create a culture where it's the norm not to talk to strangers and that for me is the saddest thing because you've got a culture which is experiencing unprecedented levels of loneliness and unwantedness. And on the other side, you've got a social norm where people are, don't want to talk to strangers. And like the two cannot live together. If we keep those two together, then, then we're, not, we're, not, we're not going to fight this loneliness thing. It needs to be done on a grassroots level. And so we need to challenge that norm, that social norm, that it's, not, it, that it's weird to talk to strangers. Uh, we need to do it safely, yes but we need to be doing it more, lots more. I think that's true as well of like, we. I think we think we're doing the talking to strangers thing and finding our people, in, I'm doing inverted commas here, um, <laughs> by going online and speaking to people, but actually you're not gonna find your pe- you might find some people and that's great to have an online community is you know important for some people, but you're not gonna find your close by people that you can call when you need something or like, you know, you fall over and you're ill or something like they're not going to be those people. And I think we've just stopped because we've got online, we've kind of stopped doing it in real life. Um, so, yeah, I think that's absolutely true what you're saying, that we need to do more of it, but in a safe way. 
when I started at Recovery, Recovery Devon, um, we had funded the Happy to Share cards, which I think you have in, in your waffle place. Um, and it was amazing because it's it is really quite a simple idea of having a card on a table that just says you're happy to share your table with a stranger and, and have a conversation. And yet nobody had thought of it. And it's a shame that it has had to stop because of COVID, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to it starting up again when we're able to and when it's safe to, because the idea of being alone in a coffee shop and, and seeing somebody with that card and just going over and talking to somebody, you never know what that's going to do for somebody's day, whether it will turn it around or whether it will just, just be a nice conversation. But yeah, it's really important that we start doing that more and knowing that, that it felt it feels weird to a lot of people is, quite heartbreaking really yeah I think even being alone in a coffee shop is quite weird for some people like it's my extreme happy place to be alone in a coffee shop like a dream but I think for a lot of people they would find that really uncomfortable so how are they ever gonna meet other people if we're not even comfortable to be alone anymore Mm. yeah and actually paradoxically the being okay being alone is actually one of the greatest ways ways to combat loneliness because mm-hmm. obviously you can kind of surround yourself for as long as you can with people but what we find consistently uh, at waffle is that where a lot of people hit rock bottom is when their life circumstances change and all of a sudden that partner that group of friends has disappeared because of a hat because they've moved because someone's died and then all of a sudden they're left on their own and some people have kind of developed the tools to be okay on their own uh, we find that um, and actually statistically it's more women, more so women than men that are okay on their own um, but particularly men um, they find it very they haven't developed that that set of skills and so when they are on their own um, they, they really they really struggle so that's a big thing it's kind of developing um, the tools that you need to kind of be okay on your own mm. I think back back in the day I don't know when the day is, but I'm going to say back in the day when we had like organized religion and things like that, we had like ready-made kind of communities there where you all had like a shared purpose. You all kind of believed similar things that you kind of had a trust as well that, oh, these are people that are God-fearing and they wouldn't hurt me or, and you see them every week. Like it was just there for the taking to have a community and there are a few people that we know that still you know they go to church and for the community mostly but that's kind of that's dying off in a huge way in our country that people just don't go to church on a Sunday anymore they don't go to the the bake sale they don't go to all these different things that the church did for the town so where does where do we replace that like what what's what's going in place of that because people not everybody is able to create their own community and some people will need it to be there for the taking for them before they'll do it yeah and I quite like the idea that you know with with the church community it's a real mixture of people so obviously because recovery devil is mental health focused we are communities for anybody that that has mental health struggles or or has known somebody with a mental health struggle which to be honest that's a lot of people that's probably the majority of us sadly but there's a real mixture when it that springs to my mind for the church community because it's all throughout the generations you know there's people there that do all kinds of different jobs um you know and I I, I quite like that idea that it's um 
yeah, it's like a ready-made group. Um, because I do find that sometimes with our with a mental health community, sometimes there's a barrier that goes up because the label of mental health is there. I was having a conversation the other day, a um, chat who's a um, works with predominantly um, older people in the Torbay area, um, and he's he's huge on um, asset based community development, ABCD, which really helps because it helps me to remember. I'm not very good remembering things. Um, but yeah, which is something that we we kind of talked about for a while because we have in common uh, the the belief that actually uh, intervention is useful. Uh, the idea of doing something for someone uh, or even to someone, like if you've broken your arm uh, or if you are experiencing mental health illness or you, you know you you need someone to do something to you or for you, that is important. But it it can't be it can't be the the end of of that process of that recovery process that actually uh he 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 terms it we need to do something of the people so you actually look at what that person is without any of the labels uh what they love to do their passions all that and you and you look at actually giving them responsibility giving them a a, a place to feel empowered uh, and uh, actually, potentially they they volunteer or they start their own group or, uh, but crucially they kind of feel like they're the ones in power, um, which which means that we it, we can't just be about running groups. Um, that that's it, it can't just be that. We've got to do more than that. Um, and and we were talking about kind of interaction over intervention. And I think really talking to people, making sure you're treating them as humans, but as people, just like because we all know that mental health is something that affects us all. So it's uh, we need to get get to the person and then work out how they can be an asset to the community uh, and how we can draw that out of them. Yeah, that's so interesting. There's a there's a, a study. I think it was something that was set up in the sixties. Um, I'll just have a look at yeah, Fairweather Lodge it was called, and um, there was a guy called George Fairweather, and he kind of created this place, this like lodge ranch that when people went to psychiatric facilities in the area, they could all come out no matter who they were and live there because there was nothing really, there's a lot, you know, going into services, you've got some support. There's not really a lot coming out of it. Like once you're 18 from child services, that kind of thing, you don't have, there's nothing really. You're just like, bye. So he kind of decided to put something in place where they came there, they were all together. They all had jobs that suited their skills and they lived together and it was really really successful and the kind of relapse rate for people going back into the institution was incredibly low so that just shows like how powerful it can be on a even just a small level mm. just to have a community and have a job and feel useful i think there's there's an importance for both isn't there because mm. if you're struggling with your mental health and it's all very new for you to find a group that is specifically for what you're going through can be really beneficial like you said Kerry to not feel like you're alone to be around people that, that are going through the same as you you know and to have that support group of people that really have a knowledge and really have an understanding of what you're going through is, is so important you know but there are state there are just different stages for everyone isn't there and and that's an important stage but there's also that important stage of branching out and like you said finding what's best for you rather than what for what you're going through and I think that is something that we do forget a lot and it's something that we are very quick to provide the groups that are specifically for different kinds of, of things um, but the groups where it's just for people to maybe develop themselves they're not always as available and they're just as important because 
when when do you when do you find support in that um you know yeah yeah and I, I think I think one of the words that's often most forgotten in these kind of conversations around mental health and community uh is just friendship um maybe because it's so simple maybe it's because it's so kind of um it's such an everyday word but I think we all know that actually friendships there is nothing better than a friendship to give you sustained support and love like the, there isn't no no groups are only as strong as the friendships that are formed within them right and so are movements and so are charities and they're all the sum of their friendships effectively and and so it is so important i think to really look at how how well friendships are forming in our communities like how easy is it for, for people to make friends uh, how, you know, going from that place of, okay, we're all here because we share this, this, uh, this, this same kind of disorder or uh, we've got the same challenge, what is a great starting place. But then how do we, how do we actually like grow friendships in this environment? Because I think that's, that's the input because they're sustainable. You can, when good friendships form, a charity can kind of pull out and, and, and actually everything will be okay. Or it, it stands a much better chance of being okay because you've left friendships there, w- which will last. Um, mm. And so that's why a lot of, a lot of what we, we try and do, we, we, we also try and monitor friendships, which sounds a bit weird, but it's, it's really hard to measure the impact of what you're doing when it comes to community. That's one of the big challenges. It's like, how on earth do you measure how good a community is, right? Like, how, how do you do that? But I, I, I think it's not perfect, but I think what we try and do is keep a track of the friendships that are formed through what we do and all the different stuff. Um, and in that way, to really try and think, okay, well, actually, there's a real sense of hope there if, if people are, are forming friendships, particularly unlikely friendships. Mm-hmm. That's just a passion of ours. Um, that's, that's really good. But yeah, it does involve that mixture of kind of coming together around shared stuff, like we were talking about at the beginning, like common unity, community, um, but then I think developing friendships from within them. That's yeah. And I can, I can give an example of that is that I, I'm an outgoing person. I, I find it very easy to make friends generally. Um, but in lockdown, I was a mother of a two year old. You couldn't, I couldn't go anywhere. Couldn't do anything. I wasn't seeing anybody. My husband could still work and I could still see clients, but I couldn't see anybody else. And then you know, I started, I messaged Matt and then I started volunteering at the group and everything changed then. So it was like, you know, you find people, you find friends, you, you find like a, I don't know, like a place, I guess. And that mm. just brought it out, really. <laughs> just made it better. And I think crucially with that example you carry, um, and, and for me as well, different points in my life, it was made easier because you didn't need to kind of come along and say, I really need help. I really want some friends, mm-hmm. which is probably the most kind of socially unacceptable thing to say, especially oh. if you're a man. It's like, which is why as much as I, as, as much as I love all the stuff that um, happened, like you, you mentioned the, um, uh, I'm going to get it wrong. Happy table. Happy, happy, to, share. happy to share. Yes. Th- those things are brilliant for people that um, are happy to stick up their hand and say like, I'm lonely or sit, uh, sit in a chair. Um, uh, and there are people like that that really do benefit from that. But the, the research, uh, the, the Joe Cox Commission on Loneliness in 2016, I think it was, revealed that I think it was two thirds of people, two thirds of the nine million people that said that they were often or always lonely wouldn't feel comfortable admitting it. So you've got kind of six million people there when they last counted uh, that, that 
don't want to say are lonely but don't want to admit it and so i think that's why it's so important to give people the chance to get stuck into stuff without ne- without necessarily having to put up their hand and say i could really use some friends um I, you know I'm, i it'd be really lovely to make a friend uh, tonight if anyone's up for that um <laughs> because we we also know that like that's the fastest way to kill kill friendships is to kind of um put it in the middle of the table if you like it's almost like fight club you don't you don't talk about it you know like friendships they die when you talk about them you have to kind of do something else and the friendship happens kind of invisibly while you're doing the other thing uh, and it's really important that i think that we make opportunities like kerry says for for people to get involved in stuff without the stigma yeah definitely because it was like being a part of being a volunteer i was there to help which is like the thing i like to do the most is to like help other people and meet new people and that kind of thing but from that the amount of I'd say like all of my friends now are probably linked to Waffle in some way, I would say. Like, so it's incredibly powerful just to be like, hi, can I volunteer? To then having a whole group of friends. It's like, that's how it happens. It just happens that way. Sometimes it is like hard, isn't it? To know where to find friends and putting yourself out there and being like, you know, I'm struggling. I'm looking for people, but where are my people? Like, I think, yeah. It's hard sometimes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that that's a that's the thing with with parents as well. Like mums finding other mums is really important. And mm-hmm. um it feels like it shouldn't be hard because there is a lot out there for mums, but <laughs> there's so many different parenting styles that finding somebody that's the same as you or that you can really relate to, it, it you know, it can be quite a struggle. Mm. Um, but but when you do. Like I'd be lost without the the mum friends that I've found, um, you know. But we need like a a matchmaker, like a yenta, but for a community matchmaker. Yeah, but for friendship. I, that needs to be a new role, doesn't it? We've got community yeah. developers. Uh, we need community matchmakers. Yeah, I, interestingly, there are places that have tried like speed friend dating. I think they did one in Exeter um, a couple of years ago. But I kind of like I was really interested. I was like, okay, does this work? And I, I I talked to them and they were like, it was okay. But ultimately, like the trouble is you just can't make friendships in test tubes, right? So you you just can't. So even when you've like technology is brilliant and it, it's offering us all these chances to be connected, but there is just a difference between a connection and a friendship. And it's it's mm-hmm. kind of good. But that's not to say that um one can't become the other, as I think both of you are, are kind of testament to. Actually, yeah, you can get connected and then take that forward into a friendship. But to just, I think Kerry said right at the beginning, to, to assume that digital friendships are the same or digital connectedness is the same as, as friendships is, is not right. And we know all the statistics around the kind of the dissonance or the discrepancy between uh, online connectedness and then your feeling of having someone to turn to when things go wrong. Is, is humongous isn't it it's like you know, right. a thousand friends over here and like you know what one, one real proper friend um so yeah it's something that maybe we've got complacent with because of technology we think oh it's okay everyone's connected and and all the research reminds us that that's not the case um yeah. and it is it is just so important and, and like we said with churches um and and, and i think um the example of being a young mum sammy is it's it's brilliant because um, it shuffles the deck again because you can't necessarily choose the people that are going to give birth at the same time. Well, you can't. Well, I guess you could. Can you? Well, anyway, yeah. Mostly, it's kind of a random mix, right, of, of people. 
And the wonderful thing that I love seeing about mums is that you see people together that would never normally kind of be together. They're, they're a mums group, but you, you know, the, the thing that stands out for me is the, the um, different classes uh, mm. in mummy friends. Like you can have someone that drives a, a Land Rover, right? With someone that doesn't own a car and just takes the bus. And, and they're there in the same room chatting because they've got something in common, which is they're both really scared about being a new mum and yeah, knackered. And, you know, and, and that's, again, so, and, and so for me, the fact that we haven't had mums and mums and baby groups or dads and baby groups over the, over the last couple of years is, is, uh, is it a couple of years, 18 months? It, it's a really serious thing. Like I, I really would love to see um, local government taking that much more seriously. Actually, we need to make sure the services are there for, for, for mums and dads that have just had kids. Well, it's it's tough, isn't it? Because like when you make these organic friendships, like these these friendships that just grow, like all of my friends I worked with and that's because that's who I was surrounded by all the time. And then as soon as I left on maternity leave, you know, the the the, the ones that were proper friends and there were there were a couple, they stayed around, but the rest just kind of fell away. So then all of a sudden you feel like you don't have as many friends around you because the real ones are, are there's not as many of them. Um, and that must happen to so many mums out there, their friendship group, like almost, or probably over half, just as soon as you go on maternity leave or have a baby. And for dads, like, I've, it must be so tough for dads because all of a sudden on their days off, they've they've got a little one to look after. And, you know, what does that mean for their community? And how does that change who they hang out with or talk to or, you know, like turn to, you know, when when they're craving like a beer down the pub and a, and a chat with their friend, like do they feel able to do that with with a kid in tow? Um, so it kind of that's like a big shift for everyone, isn't it? Yeah, I think that the ship the thing that Matt was saying about is when things are shifted, like the cards uh, are shuffled again, like when you have a certain lifestyle when you're younger and you go to the pub that's kind of like your church that's where you meet people mm-hmm. you know I was a barmaid I was always talking to people and then suddenly you settle down with somebody that you meet in that pub probably and you have a child and you don't want to go to the pub and then you just lose contact with all of these people that you were thought you were friends with but because your lives are so different you don't have that anymore you don't have that shared place that you turn up to all the time and it, it is hard it's a really d- difficult transition when you don't have somewhere else to go to find yeah. people I think as well like sometimes you want certain things that you can't get from certain communities so you might have different communities which you get different things from so it might be um, you know, like you might go to your friends for like that sort of fun outlet, um, whereas you might go to a, a certain group where you want that more, you know, conversation, those deep meaning conversations that you can have without having that sort of personal attachment to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I, it, for me, it kind of, it comes back to what Kerry was saying earlier about kind of looking after the friendships you have um, because you never know what's going to change. Um, you never know how long your work's going to last. You never know uh, how long you're going to live somewhere. Life changes. Um, but if we look after our friendships well, then they can kind of follow us through life, which is an incredible support. But the thing is often we, we're quite, we can be quite lazy with our friendships. And 
statistically speaking, much more so men than women. Women are much better at looking, curating their friendships than men are, um, apparently, um, which makes sense to me. Like, it is about kind of taking, as Kerry said, taking those friendships and actually investing in them a little bit. Um, and I really like that word investing because that's what you're doing. You're kind of, you're sacrificing a little bit of time, maybe a little bit of money, a little bit of energy, but in making an investment in that friendship, which otherwise might just stay as a work friendship. But if you invite them out for a drink, maybe you could you could be more than just work colleagues, you know? But unless someone gives that a punt, unless someone it takes a little bit of a risk and says, hey, do you want to come and play some football or whatever, then that, you ha- that relationship will never have any investment and therefore it will die away when you move on. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's about... You know, because for a lot of people, they say, oh, talking to strangers is scary. It's like, okay, if you're not ready for that, and a lot of us, like, it takes a bit of confidence and all that, then just invest in the kind of acquaintances that you have. Um, and, and a great way to do that is to kind of think of someone that you would only message when you want something. Um, and instead, just send them a message just to see how they are. Um, it's also really good when you do want something that they don't feel like you just want them for that thing. Um, and, you know, for some of us, that's family. For some of us, we only really message someone if we want something, maybe it's a, a mum or a dad and we only really get in touch with one time. So a great way is just to kind of just send messages for the sake of seeing how they are and for no other reason, no strings attached. But yeah, I think looking after friendships, investing in them is a, is a really good thing to be doing. Mm. Especially because there's such, I work mainly with young people in my, um, my private practice and like other charities that I've been involved in. And the amount of young people, I would say 95% of the young people I see have social anxiety in some aspect. Now, that tells me that it's a real big problem. They're not out there looking for friends. They're scared to do it. In fact, they have a whole set of symptoms around being in social situations. Like, how are they, how are we ever going to find more communities in the future if everyone's terrified? to even talk to each other at the moment like that's that's something that isn't going to be changed overnight and I don't know the solution to it but we're we're growing a whole lot growing a whole load of teenagers that have no idea how to talk to each other they don't they're mm. terrified of each other when we first started um our, our kind of journey looking at um uh, communities and how important communication and and social skills were to forming communities we, we used to try and minimize the kind of risk factor but, but the fact is that you, you can't, whenever, whenever you're kind of socializing for anyone, um, but obviously if you've got social anxiety, it's something you struggle with, then that's going to be much bigger. But for all of us, talking to people is something that pr- provokes some level of anxiety with all of us. Um, and, and also it's kind of good that it does. I know that sounds strange, but because there's a risk involved, it's, it's exactly the, it's, it's the overcoming of that risk that mm. actually lends value to the activity that you're doing. And that's true for lots of different things, but um, it's that kind of sacrificial element of I'm finding this scary or this kind of seems, this is a bit, uh, I'm a bit nervous about this, that makes the kind of the act, it, it renders it significant. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, I think, I don't think we'll ever be able to kind of, um, uh, kind of sanitize socializing, if that makes sense, kind of, of, of its risk factor. But I do think what we can do as people that feel able uh, to have those conversations, it, we can take the initiative to try and make things as easy as possible for people, uh, try and make the barriers as small as possible so that people can find it uh, as easy as they can, if that's a, if that's a phrase, um, to, to kind of get involved in those social situations. So what is it that, that you guys do 
at the waffle community that like that that supports that so i think there's a, there's a few things um so i keep jumping in carrie you should just no no you go for it just, just a um we yeah i think so with our with our actual waffle house so the kind of the main base where we are as kind of mm-hmm. kerry mentioned and it's, it's so and I, I, I never get tired of hearing stories like kerry's about people coming in and finding a place where they feel like they belong and and finding like friendships um i like it's the same for me and i love hearing it but that's yeah effectively with that business model that we have at waffle we kind of took the cafe model which works so well at being a third space for people that are familiar with that term third space it's like um a really important space in our community they exist already so we didn't we knew we didn't need to re- reinvent the wheel you know you've got starbucks you've got costa they're places where community happens actually and sometimes depending on the staff normally they can be brilliant places like our costa used to be incredible for people actually creating a sense of community we actually nabbed a couple of the guys from costa because they were so good at it and when we moved premises i was like i don't suppose you'd you'd work for us anyway so um we knew that the model existed but what we we were fascinated by the idea of putting community at the center of these models rather than commerce um so that's what we did and so we kind of designed a cafe space around creating as many opportunities as we could to naturally start conversations and that's through right from the board games that we have uh, that create those opportunities to have conversations even across tables which we love uh, right to like we train our staff on on listening and starting up conversations and finishing conversations so they feel kind of equipped to to make the most of those opportunities as they come up naturally in a cafe um, right down to little quirky things on the wall which to start conversations and our community cards um, it's all about trying to take an existing model and and make it a space which would give it give conversations every chance to flourish so that's what we do there and then we also uh, we make that space for people to start up groups so rather than us putting on loads of groups um, we through the people we meet we find out what they love uh, so Kerry's a great example um, Kerry's an amazing artist um, and she just naturally got chatting to um, a girl who comes into waffle and it's really her safe space and she's a great artist too I said like well let's start an art group um, and actually that's uh, Recovery Devon provided the resources for them to be able to do that. And it's amazing because, and that's what I love about Recovery Devon, right? It's because they, they make it really easy for little things like that, mm-hmm. asset-based community stuff to kind of grow and flourish and now create a group. And now they've got a couple of other people joining them in their group who also just kind of realize they love all the same stuff. And again, it's just making those opportunities for friendships to flourish. Um, so we host the groups and we, we also put on a couple of our own because we know they work really well, like a tech surgery uh, once a week, which gets in the oldies. Um, it mixes them with like these young nerdy, nerdy boys, possibly my favorite combination. My friend calls it geeks and grannies. But I mean, it doesn't get any better for me than seeing a geek and a granny like bent over an iPad trying to work out what's going on, you know. Um, so there's a couple of ways that we found in our travels that work really well at getting people to kind of to talk together. We do things like a Lego club and as Kerry mentioned, Kerry leads this group on a Monday, which is uh, people kind of socially prescribed into us um, who are struggling in some way with social anxiety or, or to connect with their community. And, and we, it's really like we just, uh, I think that was me, uh, we, we, um, we, we, we just chat about anything um, and, it, and it's brilliant. Um, yeah. And we also kind of get out and about in our communities um, to try and actually uh, find the people that can't, aren't mobile so they're kind of isolated uh so we do gardening i was doing gardening this morning and that's a great way it's not about the lawn 
it's about the conversation. So we go around, it's a great excuse that we'll cut your lawn, but while you're there, we get a chance to kind of chat to you and maybe you haven't really chatted to someone in a long time. So yeah, I don't think that's, yeah, that's not everything, but it's just some of the ways that we're trying to like be creative and creativity is the key, I think. And Kerry will know all about creativity, but I think having some fun with it, you know, I, that, that that's one of the joys of being a community, you get to be creative together and go, okay, loneliness is this massive, this massive amorphous thing that no one can put their finger on but can we be creative and have some fun in trying to reach people and connect people together definitely yeah the only thing other thing i would add is um that within like the waffler group which is the group you're talking about we have the conversations and i try and like facilitate conversations between them so i can leave and and then we try and pick out on those little bits of evidence of what they need but they don't want to ask for so oh I'm really struggling this week because oh I had to get some I don't know something from someone and I couldn't get it and it's like oh okay so they need that so they don't want to ask for that but we now know that they need that so I will take that back to Matt and he they will action it in some way or like oh you know my back's hurting I can't I can't do the garden anymore and I'll, I'll go okay they can't do the garden anymore so we make that happen and it's not just for people in the group it's kind of you know mostly just for anyone really that kind of comes forward but that group is a great place for us to collect things that they need that they just people don't want to ask for at all but that we can actually make happen and they're so grateful for like the tiniest things as well mm. and we love to help them but they're so kind of I don't know they they're so grateful for it and it just strengthens that friendship I yeah guess. yeah yeah and I, I think the lovely thing about doing it that way around like Kerry just said about doing the kind of relationship first and then seeing what they need afterwards is that you're you're putting your energy into building the relationships not just satisfying a need so whilst all the kind of like uh, the thing like especially around COVID of like satisfying people's needs is good uh, for me the real value of those things is the relationships that are formed um because if you just kind of go in get someone shopping and then see you later I think it's really missing an opportunity to form a friendship um, there. So yeah, doing it that way around for me is, is about kind of putting your resources and energy into the, into the right thing. And then it, yeah, if stuff comes out of that, brilliant. We'll try and help each other together. Definitely. As a counsellor, the way that I do things is slightly different because I work mostly with young people. You can't go in and assess a young person with a sheet straight away. Like you, you that's not going to work. They're not going to trust you. You can't go in and tell them, oh, drugs are bad. And, you know, you can't do that. So the best thing to do is to just get to know them first and actually build a relationship. Whereas I think a lot of services don't have the time to do that. So they're straight in with the, what's wrong with you? Tell me what's wrong with you. But actually, I don't want to know what's wrong with them. I just want to learn about who they are. And then, it, you know, you pick it out of that. And it's exactly the same technique, I guess what do you feel have been or are like the challenges of like working within a community and particularly like over the last what year and a half now we've been doing this whole lockdown pandemic thing like yeah what are the, the challenges you face within the community and like working within the community great question brilliant mm -hmm. question Kerry do you want to go first I'm going first on all of them okay um well one of the biggest ones I, I guess is fear so actually getting people here and them not wanting to mix with people for very obvious reasons. A lot of them are vulnerable and they've got other illnesses and stuff going on. It's 
I think that's been a really tough getting people together that were with us all the time before I've just sort of fallen by the wayside. So it's about keeping them in the group and feeling like they're part of something without them feeling like they have to be coming as well. That's quite a hard balance to create definitely. Mm. Um, and just not being open for you guys as well. I presume like you weren't open for so long and that was great in some ways because we had the things that were allowed to keep going, which were for mental health purposes. Um, you know, the real key activities could happen and we didn't have any customers in, so we could do whatever we liked. <laughs> we could use it for as long as we liked. So there were real benefits to that as well. But, you know, we weren't, there were no new people coming in really. So we mm. lost a lot of that, I think. Yeah, and, and I think the key then was, and I guess a lot of people are kind of experiencing this, is um, lockdown actually gave us a whole, uh, it presented all these opportunities and I think our our challenge now is to kind of is to keep them going. So like I mentioned before with the kind of doing someone shopping example, it's not just leaving it there. Like that's there's a kind of a bigger end here. And so lots of the stuff that we did over over lockdown and Kerry's brilliant at kind of keeping in contact with people digitally. But it's kind of in order to kind of keep the momentum going for when we can kind of come back together and, and see each other. And we did a we did a, a quiz online because we knew that a lot of people were kind of had to be at home, which is brilliant. And we've got a, a guy that works with Mike. It was amazing. And he's just, it, it, it turned into this massive quiz, you know, and, and, but we didn't want to just leave that there. So we now kind of brought it in house when it was safe to do so. And so we're now, again, just trying to really um, take those relationships on. Um, and I think all these acts of kindness that we've seen kind of explode over the last year for me, I would be really keen to see it's been a challenge but can we can we build on that can we can we actually keep that momentum going and actually build some friendships from those acts of kindness um I, I one of the big challenges for me um kind of with with the community work that we do in the community is that it's it's messy mm -hmm. i think that's the word that i say often is community work is messy uh, anyone that was looking at getting involved in community work i'm sure jody and sammy you kind of experienced this that it it's really, it's messy because it's dealing with people um, and, and people aren't neat and tidy. And especially those um, that are struggling with some uh, mental health challenge, there, there's there often is some really messy stories and, um, and we love to hear them and get involved. Um, but it, it's not straightforward. And anyone who thinks that kind of loneliness is uh, a lovely old lady sat at home you know just waiting for someone to talk to her she's really interesting and she's got you know it's really cultured past and I think people have quite a, a clean idea of what loneliness looks like for example but it's not it's messy and a lot of the people that are lonely are lonely for a reason because they've pushed everyone away you know it's not true that everyone that's lonely is a victim um, uh, of, of kind of something external sometimes they're the victim of their own choices and their own decisions and mistakes um, and and that's messy because it's not always like yeah, it's not always straightforward. So I think one of the biggest challenges has been over the last few years for us is, has really uh, has been to kind of get involved in the messiness of community um, uh, whilst at the same time uh, trying to um, kind of help in a way that's actually going to be sustainable. Um, but yeah, that, that's, the, that, that's the biggest challenge, I think, by far. It's kind of the you just don't know what's going to happen. Every week is, is very different. And sometimes that's absolutely knackering um, because, you, yeah, you, you don't know what's going to happen. But it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. And that's why going back to definition community, 
some people, uh, yeah, I, I think the, the kind of the old adage is that hurting people hurt other people. Um, and so some people never get, never take time to get past that kind of hard exterior of someone or that tricky exterior. Uh, and we need to, we need to take time um, to actually, to, to get past that and, and actually look for the thing that we have in common with people and get to get to that person, especially when we're talking about mental health. We need to kind of get past the label or whatever we see externally and, and know that inside, like everyone has value, every single person. And actually every single person is superior to you in some respect. Um, and that's a really good thing to hold on to. Like they are, they are your superior in some way. And so you can learn from them. And I think that that kind of having that curiosity when going into kind of so, social situations is a, probably one of the most powerful things you have. And Kerry's brilliant at it. She says she's nosy. Um, she is. She is. She's brilliantly curious for people. And that makes it very easy for people to talk to Kerry and for her to build relationships. Curiosity is probably one of the one of the greatest things to hold on to. We don't need to invent it. We have it as kids. Look at any child and you'll see the curiosity. It's just, they're just brimming with it but we lose it, a lot of us, um, that curiosity. And so holding on to that is, and, and also kind of practicing it. A lot of these things that we're talking about today, they're just like any other muscle. You need to, you need to practice them. Um, otherwise you get weak in them. And I think that's what we've seen over the last couple of years is in particular, last 18 months is this kind of social atrophy where our social muscles have been kind of wasting away. Um, so it is something that we do need to, we do need to kind of work on. That's another thing that that Waffle do as well is the the videos about like exercising your social skills that you did during lockdown. They were really good because it reminded people of how they can have conversations and actually how you can practice having conversations without being able to talk to many people in your life. And it's actually quite easy to kind of find those opportunities in your everyday life to do that. I think that was that was really useful. I think a lot of people found that really useful. Well, um, I'll put a link to those with this in the blurb for this podcast. Um, so I think that's really important because sometimes when things like that become really overwhelming, and I think we're all feeling it a little bit, aren't we? Even if we don't have social anxiety, but you know, like I was in a work meeting the other day and it was face to face and I'm not used to that anymore. And it was like, where do I look? Why is there, why is there no box around your face? Like, who do I do I have to put my hand up to, to talk? And it, and it just felt alien and it felt weird. And I think sometimes when we simplify it and we really talk about like the facts of maybe like, um, like in your YouTube videos about what a conversation means or how to have the conversation, when we really look at it and pick it apart, sometimes it makes the task easier because we feel like we know a bit more about it or a bit more prepared for it. Um, and I loved what I, I love what you said, Matt, about, um, people um I, I can't remember how you put it but um we really do feel the same way um people are their own experts mm-hmm. you know there's no mental health expert there's no um it's not them and us you are your own expert you know your story you know what you've been through you know how what recovery is going to look for you and what you what, maybe you don't know what you need but you know how you're feeling in that moment and you know what you don't need or what doesn't work for you and that's the important thing to talk to people about so yeah, I really, I really liked it when you when you mentioned that. Um, guys, we are going to be talking for days, so I think I think we're going to have to wrap up. But thank you so much for talking to us. Unless there's something really, really pressing that anybody wants to add in before we sign off. Oh, Jody, I just wanted to find out because obviously you're from the Waffle House. Um, 
what is your favorite waffle that you do? Nice, nice. Such a good question. I mean, Matt, yeah, I probably, I probably have a lot less waffles than Kerry does. I'm, I'm almost certain of it. Like, this is the thing. You kind of, you're around it so much that you end up not actually having that many. Um, but I would say my favorite waffle is the heavenly one. I think so. Vanilla ice cream, raspberries, and white chocolate sauce. Bel- Belgian white chocolate sauce. Um, which yeah, I just like that white chocolate and raspberry is just a great combination. Big fan. Oh yeah, I have a savory favorite and a sweet favorite. Savory favorite for me is the chicken and waffle one because you get you get chicken, you get waffle, you get streaky bacon, you get maple syrup. I mean, what is there not to like? And then my favorite sweet one is the Biscoff one because it's got Biscoff in it and it's just so nice. So for anybody that's listening, how can they get hold of you guys? Even if it's just to have a chat with you or if they want to hear more about groups, um, how can they get in touch? So the best way is to go through the website. Um, On there, you've got loads of different options. You can phone us, um, you can um, email us, um, but obviously you can just drop in as well drop into what well, else we open nine till nine tuesday to saturday um so yeah uh, any of those things um we are big fans of like walking and talking um obviously so what i do i spend a lot of my week kind of just walking with people so if you're listening you're like i just want to find out more and i know people jump straight to an email but if you want to just set like me I don't, i'm sure Kerry would, be, would love to do this as well i would volunteer your time Kerry, so you're very busy. No, but um but yeah if you want to just if you want to find out more and you'd like to contact us we go for a walk then that's also great yes absolutely amazing thank you guys thank you okay. it's great. been a pleasure absolute pleasure as always thank you for listening if you have ideas which explore mental health directly or in imaginative ways perhaps you'd like to create our next podcast If you don't know how or don't have any equipment for recording, we'll do what we can to help. Simply contact us. Our email is community at recoverydevon.co.uk. Recovery Devon is a community interest company supported by the Devon Partnership Trust.